So last week, I convinced Dom to come with me to a place called Guildford in central Victoria to a banjo jamboree. <laughs> of all the things, imagine that. What a time. So the banjo jamboree is a yearly festival which happens in uh, central Victoria. And it's a beautiful little town called Guildford, which is essentially a crossroads with a pub in one corner, the general store, who, thank you very much, it was the general store who allowed us to use their back room today. It's a gorgeous, cute little, um, almost like a mum and pop milk store, but it, it does really nice pies and everything. It, it, like, if you're going through the town, you got to stop in there. It's really nice. Anyhow, the Banjo Jamboree was started as a uh, almost an answer to the Fiddlers Convention, which happens on the other side of Melbourne and another time of year. Anyhow, traditionally, it's usually a very bluegrass and old time um, festival. But more and more, there's a bit more Irish, a bit more Celtic happening. So this year, there was actually a lot of Irish people came along. And we were lucky enough to meet up with David Game. David was down from Canberra for the weekend and a fantastic fiddle player who we're going to get into the interview in a second. But first, we're going to do the Patreon call out. Patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a lot of support over the last few weeks, actually. It's been great. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be um, featuring some of the most hilarious uh, messages in uh, episodes to come uh, when we get around to collating them. Uh, if you haven't done that, get over there now and hit the Become a Patron button that would be uh, really helpful to us it helps us to kind of think about how we can expand the podcast uh, move out of victoria and start interviewing some of the other great players all over australia which is we which know they're right really there we just can't we afford to, to get to <laughs> <laughs> so uh, patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims and your reward will be great in heaven um, and you'll also get to hear interviews with other players from other parts of australia and with that away we it. go Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Uh, what was that tune you just played? That's The Mountain Road, um, a well-known tune and uh, an Irish reel, of course. Um, probably one of the very first I heard at the sessions that were held in the Bristol Arms in Sydney in Ultimo in the late 70s. I was lucky enough to come in on the tail of those. Uh, so how did you, did you just kind of wander in one day or <laughs> did somebody take you in and say, you've got to hear this, this is... Well, that's right. I mean, I did just wander in one day, but, but there's probably a reason for that. I mean, um, th- probably through my cousin, actually, uh, my, um, on my mother's side, so Phil Butters. Um, he'd moved to Sydney not long after I had. And he was at Sydney Uni, and he ran into a couple of guys, Pat Lyons, who lives in Castlemaine now, and Paul Mortimer, Mort. Um, and they played uh, flute and whistle. They were just getting into Irish music. Pat actually came from an Irish-Australian family and had been a dancer as well. And through them, they said, you know, look, come and join. We're going to go and check out this session of Irish music. I'd meanwhile been listening to bluegrass and folk and God knows what. And I came along and um, this music just sort of hit me physically, I think, as it probably does. Um, 
Jimmy Malarkey on BC Accordion, who I just saw last weekend at a festival in Yass, who's yeah. still around. Uh, Kevin Doyle uh, also, who's in a nursing home in Sydney, but he was one of the players in those days. Um, Jim Philbin, who I think has since passed, but he was on accordion. And Jimmy McBride on the fiddle. And Derek Chegwin on banjo. So that was one of the kind of combinations that... Uh, and John Joe Noonan mm-hmm. on the baron. Great fellow with a big smile, a very welcoming kind of guy. Could, could, could you already play at this point? I mean, no, you, not a note. No, I couldn't play a thing. Right, so. so we sat at the back tentatively with our little tape recorders and things. And um, there was some... It's a bit blurry, but there was some written music. Eventually we got copies of O'Neill's and things. And it's hard to recall, but back in those days, it was very hard to get recorded music even. I mean, there was one shop in Sydney, Folkways in Paddington, that sold traditional music. So mm. you could get Didanen and Planksty and Kevin Burke, Tommy Peoples. But they're expensive, mm. of course. Mm. And of course, they're the top. That's the top of the tree, really. And was, it, was that just for the and Irish stuff or was that for the, the bluegrass folk stuff? There was, a, there was well? a range. That, there was English stuff as well. In yeah. Yeah, you but was it get, particularly hard to get the Irish stuff? Or? Well, I think there, there would only have, there would never have been, there wasn't much recorded music still in those days, really, late 70s. You had a little bit, but, you know, Bothy Band. And, yeah. uh, but they were expensive, hard to get. So you'd get copies of copies and mm. things. And also incredibly hard to learn at those speeds. I mean, yeah. in, it's kind of impossible. You know, there's, 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 there's one <laughs> so the, the session becomes important, you know, for being able to get up. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that yeah. way. So what happened? What happened with you then? Um, <laughs> what went wrong? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, so, so, you, so you have this experience of going along to this session a few times and thinking, oh, I've got is... to have it. It's kind of like falling in love or something. You know, you just got to do something about it. Um, so I bought a mandolin. Actually, um, definitely too frightened to pick up the fiddle. Bought a mandolin and then eventually a tenor banjo, a Ludwig, a bit of a funny old clunky Ludwig with bent neck. Very hard to find a tenor banjo in Sydney in those days. Right. Nobody was making them or anything. Uh, and and you, di- you didn't even know what neck length because there's long necks, short necks, a bit like the beers. Yeah. <laughs> there's the jazz sort of style. So, but they're shorter than the jazz band uh, tenor banjo. So you had to find the right banjo. The stubby. Yeah, the stubby. <laughs> Yeah. I got it. Uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lock yeah. towards me. Like, you get it? Yeah, no. <laughs> and even then there was issues around tuning. Like how do they tune it? Some, you heard that some people tuned at CGDA, but most people in fact tuned it. Like so did you have GDA, someone yeah. in Sydney to, to guide you? No, no, didn't really. We just used to go to these sessions and sort of plink away in the background trying to pick up things on the run, really. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and then we'd process it together outside ourselves. You just, it was a, a little mention you said in there, just it's interesting because um, Chris Fitzgerald actually mentioned something similar about having a tape recorder with you in the session. So did you, did you, you would bring a tape recorder yeah, with you and, yeah, and then take yeah, that yeah, to learn from? Yeah, absolutely. Then you still had the problem of speed. You couldn't slow down. Um, the envy, um, you envied anybody that had a, um, what did they call those journalists? Um, super scopes. Right. Where you could slow down and keep the pitch. That was the absolute... You know, hands pants, but you know, you didn't have those. So then, what what was your path then to the fiddle? Well, just I think the mandolin sort of steers you there a little bit, um, or did in in any case. I mean, in the end, it was just irresistible. Um, I think one of the influences would have been uh, we were just talking earlier, weren't we? Um, John Carty came out, so moving a few years forward. So I'm talking originally about 1978. So about 1984, 83 or four, John Carty and um, Brendan Mulcair 
were out in Sydney. Um, I'm not sure how they got here, but they used to stay or play at the Baldface Stag in um, uh, in the west of Sydney there. And they gave classes, and so those tapes would circulate. If you couldn't get to the class, they'd still come around. And, and I think that's what really explained the... See, the other sessions didn't, didn't only had one fiddle player. The thing about the John's and Brendan's classes is they explain ornamentation and the rolls yeah. and the variations and the cuts and the slides. So that, that was a, a huge development, I think, for us. I love the thought that there's a, a black market in, in, in workshops going around Sydney, which I'm sure there, would, there absolutely would be. And I, I mean, can only imagine And that. I'd moved back to Canberra by then, and they, um, they came down for some workshops there as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people were influenced by just several workshops. And there are not many who'd been to Ireland at that stage. I'm talking of kind of Aussies of my generation. Yeah. Sean, in fact, who I mentioned earlier, he'd, he'd already been to Ireland. I didn't. I met Sean in, uh, in those days in Sydney. But there was a connection with the Melbourne Iris as well. I, I remember um, Joe Fitzgerald coming up to the Bullface Dag and being part of those big sessions. That'd be a big celebration if he turned up. And I can't yeah. remember whether Paddy came up. He probably did, but I can't recall. So the, that trip with John, is that how you ended up with the fiddle? Yeah, well, he was out here that year. And, uh, and I was up there at the, one, of the big, one of the sessions up there I don't remember what, whether it was a particular occasion. I remember the boys of the lock played up there once as well in the pub. But um, John was um, going back to Ireland. He was returning and he was selling his fiddle and um, I bought the thing and yeah. still got it. So Is that the fiddle you're playing today? That's the fiddle I'm playing today. So that's oh. the same one. And, uh, yeah, I recalled that with him when he was uh, doing a concert with his daughter just the other month in uh, Canberra. Oh, we had a bit of a laugh about it. Can we, um, can we have another tune? Oh, all right, yeah. That'd be great. in the heather it's a well-known mm-hmm. um, so were, were there particular tunes that that as, as you were thinking about having a chat with us you obviously you picked those two tunes to start with were there particular players in those sessions who was it, did somebody take you under their wing apart from those not, not i wouldn't say that no yeah. i think they were tunes that were played frequently mm-hmm. um i mean i think people learn it's probably typical you learn i find you sort of learn from multiple sources you hear someone playing it and then you get the name of it, and then you might hear someone else playing it, or you look it up, or it's on a record, or uh, or it's on a flute, but you were on the fiddle. So you've got to kind of decode things a little bit. Um, 
So those particular tunes probably more picked up on the run than, you know, than specifically in a workshop. Mm-hmm. But I think the influences are sort of many and various because you're kind of trying to absorb anything that appeals to you. So it's probably hard to answer this, but what makes what pulls you towards a tune? Oh, like, towards a tune? Yeah, yeah. I think it's sheer aesthetics. It's just something about the tune. I mean, I think it's the genre. So it's like, it's one of those very strong genres like jazz or blues. You know, there's a kind of whole world, isn't there, within a genre. So the genre itself is what... I suppose what draws you and then it's specific tunes they just seem to just call you they're just um yeah it's an aesthetic thing it's 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 not really logical mm-hmm. it's um it's just the sound of it it's what someone does with it it's what you think you might be able to do with it mm-hmm. i've heard you ask this before what what draws you to a tune uh, <laughs> well, you can if it's easy <laughs> <laughs> well that that's actually an important answer i think when you yeah, it's it when you're starting off too but also easy tunes also are, are rather beautiful as well there's this, some of the simple tunes are really lovely well yeah, yeah it's not yeah. about the complexity of the melody necessarily it can be that but that that actually brings me to something that um i took a few whistle lessons uh, a few years ago from a, a flute player in seattle and we were talking about the sally gardens which is a tune that comes around in every session it does and he was, and, and I was a bit embarrassed about the fact that I could play it. It was one of the tunes that I knew, so I could play. More it. embarrassing not to play it. Well, well, yeah, but it, well, <laughs> that's, that's a really right. good point. That's totally right. And, and actually, what he said to me was like, he's like, I don't. He said, you know, think about this and think about the beauty in the tune. Hmm. He says, don't, don't think about. It's not about you. He says, think about the beauty of this tune. Well, I think related to that is this idea that there are beginners' tunes, and there are tunes that absolutely get a thorough airing Morrison's if not not a thrashing (laughs) you know uh, because you know they're they're latched onto but they are still wonderful tunes and you know great players always seem to find that bit of magic in the tune perhaps they'll vary it a little bit rhythmically or melodically Uh Uh and it brings them to life again very easily Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting too then that there are I mean do you have have a notion of how many tunes you have in your current repertoire and how many because um, I, I, we're sitting beside a big mm. long table here and I always think you know you put a couple of tunes on at this end and a couple fall off down the other end I think that's a good a a good of... picture of it it's a bit like painting the harbour bridge or something you know you start at one end and when you get to the other end the, the front bit needs painting again yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's an c- eternal maintenance process and you, especially at a festival this is why we love festivals of course is the tunes keep coming out of the woodwork there might be something you haven't looked at for five years or 15 years suddenly you know wow what was that I remember that and mm-hmm. so there seemed to be a certain number on the boil at any one time and and, and then they but they slowly change over time yeah, <laughs> and, the hit and, list. Then, and then you go back and then pull others back in I wonder if that process has changed as well because tunes being attached to the actual physical uh, artifact of yes. an album that you yes. can get hold of and everybody's got it yes. at the one time yes whereas now everything's everywhere all the time and you can go and hunt down the most obscure tune you can ever and find something i think it's very interesting what's happening at the moment with with youtube and um you can just type in a tune and and out comes someone playing it what's interesting is that it's it could be a 14 year old all-island champion or it could be a great player from 30 years ago someone's just uploaded a film clip Mm -hmm. i remember seeing a jc mcdermott uh, fiddle uh, flute clip just recently from ni- early 80s I thought wow I've never seen it before beautiful 
Yeah. They never saw it at the time because there was no way of getting it. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have Irish television or anything here. Or, you know. All those all those TG4 documentaries. There's a, <laughs> there's a TG4 documentary in Irish about, uh, about Josie McDermott. Okay. A whole doc, yeah. a whole doc yep. about him. Yep. Um, which yep. is... Uh, but it's just um, an example of what's accessible mm-hmm. now that, that wasn't. Mm-hmm. There's so much that we couldn't get at the time. Mm-hmm. And that leads to another big question that probably a lot of us had here, is that how, are we kind of, or whatever authenticity means, you know, are you playing it right? Can do you play you, it right? Do you have a notion of, of that yourself? <sighs> a neurosis or a notion? <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, part of me thinks uh, music crosses borders, you know, classical music does, jazz does. Um, so part of me thinks, yes, you can learn it like you learn perhaps like you learn a language but then you think well then but is it is it a foreign language Mm. (laughs) do you ever get the pronunciation absolutely right i mean how hard would it be for me to speak with an irish accent you know difficult Mm. can i play music with an irish accent Mm. i don't know those sort of questions you do ask yourself um there's definitely something about the feel and the lilt and there's something very irish about an irish Irish people playing Irish music in context and in the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 the, the, the notion of, of lilt there is, yeah. is pretty interesting because it's something when I was living in Scotland for a long time uh, and, and I, have to, I don't want to be disparaging about Scottish music but it didn't appeal to me in the same way because it seemed to have less of a lilt and more of a um, more of a fixed I, sort of structured rhythmic. Yeah. I mean, I like some Scottish tunes itself, yeah. but but I find it's more linear and less less loopy, less lilty. It's um, not sure what the reasons for yeah, that it's might all, be. It can be the same tune. I wondered if that was just my imagination, or I, I, was, I think it's probably no. I think it. that's something. And there's a you know the the Donegal style, of course, which has a Scottish influence, is still different and still has a its own. It, it almost fixes it up, <laughs> if you want. To, if in t- taste wise, you know, I'm very much drawn to Scotty uh, to Donegal music. Do you, would you say really that your Scottish style music. is your style? Do you have a, a hint of Look, Donegal it's, in your it's, style? It's probably. I mean, you can point to things in the Donegal style. I mean, it's a lot of single bowing and a lot of bowed triplets. I mean, I would use that. Can you demonstrate that? Um, yeah. Can we bet? And we're demonstrating because um, it's something. This is one of those embarrassing things I should ask because it's come up. When you say it has more lilt, me. We're not talking about the totally tropical taste. We're no, talking right. about what, what, what? How would you? How do you describe it? Or can you demonstrate what is the the lilt? Well, because I am putting my like I'm being honest that, that my novice hat is pretending like I understand what it is, and honestly, I don't think I would be able to describe it to someone. Maybe it's a groove or something. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's a bit of a flow in an internal rhythm or something. If, if, I, if I think about it, I would think about, like, that the, that the rhythm has more squared... It, well, it could be. I mean, it Square corners be. to it? Okay. If you played a jig like the Rose and the Heather we did before, if you, if you played it literally, and maybe that it's played literally, if you played it literally... And gave equal value to each note, it would sound something like this. Instead of... Yep. 
And I wonder as well with the Scottish music that I was maybe hearing, and, and I'm not talking about all Scottish music. Obviously, there's a huge variety of different styles in within within that. But also, the, a lot of the things that I was hearing would be more. Um, uh, they, they might be accompanied by a piano, yeah, or something, which which also imposes a certain structure on. Yeah. Do you know on what I feel like it is for me? I'm thinking of, it's something Penny's just dropped. I think maybe the lilt is what makes me close my eyes and, and shake my head. Very like that tiny shake of your head when you're in that. I don't know if everyone does this, but when I hear a tune, like when you play the second version, there, I felt myself just doing dancing that micro dance with my head, almost like a bubble head in the back of a car seat. That's the groove. It's a micro groove that it lives within. Yeah. I don't know, maybe we're going off on a... a I suppose it's just taste. Out. I mean, there's all wonderful Scottish players, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. You know, Alistair yeah. Fraser will be out soon, and, you know, these are amazing Ali players. Ali Bain and yeah, Ali Bain. Phil he's Cunningham. Been, yeah, he's in the mix through the boys of the lock. He's yeah. influenced. So um, certainly not an authority on Scottish music, but, I, but there I'm is some kind of difference, yeah. you know. There's some kind of difference. In so we need to get an ethnomusicologist on to, to talk we about do. this in, in a way that is informed rather, rather than that. We have one to go listen to some of the previous podcasts and come up with a checklist of boo-boos we've made. Yes, terrible. Well, you need to ask a Scottish musician what's wrong with Irish music, I suppose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so would you like to do another tune? And then, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, actually, yeah, I'll do a, a slightly different one. This is a Donegal tune. It's... Um, but it's called Paddy's Trip to Scotland. Mm, <laughs> it's got a bit of everything in it. Um. trip to Scotland. So we got sidetracked there because I was going to ask you about the Donegal style. Was, mm. that a, was there a well, Donegal style in there? With, with apologies to the Donegal style. Yeah, that's the Donegal <laughs> And there style. are some terrific uh, exponents. I mean, the, uh, the I mean, uh, Mairead Mooney or Nemoyne with Alton. I mean, her music is unbelievably powerful and, and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, um, I mean, I first heard her recordings in the mid-80s, for example. Uh, wonderful exponent of Donegal style. Um, a chap we met over there years ago, Dermot McLaughlin, uh, is also a great Donegal fiddle player. Paul O'Shaughnessy is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are great Donegal players. Um, uh, Johnny Doherty, of course, was the, the kind of uh, elder from the previous generation, and we're lucky enough to have his recordings as yeah. well. 
Yeah, it's 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 very interesting listening to those older recordings as well. Um, there is I, I somehow into my possession came a um, CD, I don't know, fifteen years ago, um, called the Brass Fiddle. I know it. You know it. I know it. Yeah. There's some I've stuff got a on cassette there. Of it. Huh? <laughs> I've got a little cassette of it. Oh, you have <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I remember listening to that and going, yeah. "This is elemental. Yeah. Like it sounds like yeah. it's from yeah. a long way back in history." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, when was it's, it's it recorded? Amazing. It's a mixture of stuff on it, wasn't there? Well, it, it it's what there's um, there's all sorts of tunes that aren't jigs and reels on there too. I think they're, um, they're sort of band dances and slides. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what else is on there. Um, I'm this tune you just reminded me of a tune that's on there. <clears throat> um, um, James Byrne was I can't remember whether he's on it, but I we on our honeymoon actually we went to Glen Column Kill and went to a festival up there. Uh-huh. So we heard some Donegal. That's where we heard a lot of great Donegal playing. And there was a funny <clears throat> Maid Mooney was was interviewing Paddy Glacken. And he's widely still written up as a Donegal fiddle player, although I know he was born in Dublin, I think. And she asked him, Do you, would you regard yourself as a Donegal fiddle player? He said, no. <laughs> it was sort of funny. <laughs> I mean, he's got lots of stylistic influences, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so there's a lot of... Uh, Tommy Peoples has Donegal connection as well. But their styles draw on other things as well. Yeah, we, we uh, do. I think styles are, are, are blurred, haven't they? I mean, I think that's probably... Yeah, we're talking about <coughs> authenticity and the notion of authenticity, and uh, I guess one of the markers for that is that it would be uh, you have a style that is um, you can clearly decode from the music you're playing, you know? Um, but that doesn't... I don't know that that even exists anymore. Uh, and me, maybe that's a completely there are just, false definition. They seem definition, to be very you know? strong personal styles which are very influential. I mean, the, the, the influences on, on my sort of generation... Would be you know Kevin Burke and uh, and Kevin Gla- um, Paddy Glacken, yeah, Frankie Gavin, you know Frankie Gavin, yeah, that's you know what I, was I mean thinking, yeah. not that you can emulate them, but they're just part of what you'd sort of hope could happen occasionally in a tune, you know. Mm. <laughs> Where, so you, you uh, we were talking about Sydney, and uh, but you're not from Sydney. I was just chatting to you earlier. No, you from yeah, from Melbourne. Whereabouts? Um, so I lived, uh, well, I grew up in the eastern part of Melbourne, around Camberwell, Glen Iris, that area. And um, so, yeah, um, and lived there till I was about 14. Um, so I wouldn't have heard an Irish tune at that point. Were your parents into music Well, my great, I think I might have mentioned to one of them, my great-grandfather was born in Town, bloke by the name of George Sproul. He was born 1842. But he came out with, as a bachelor with his piano. He was a classical pianist. Came out with his books and his classical music, but... In addition, he had a copy of Moore's Irish Melodies. And that book sat on our piano for years, and you'd look at it, and, but no one actually played from it. But it was there as some kind of... I, I couldn't even say it was a beacon. It was just something... There's something in this, but I don't quite know. Um, my grandmother visited Ireland, so we... That's his daughter. So they knew people still in Ireland, although he was an only child, so it would have been perhaps distant relatives or friends. Um, but So it's a very distant sort of echo. I mean, you get rhythms. I mean, you get music from church choirs and that sort of thing. It's not like saying hymns and things, so there's music. What kind of church were you going to? This was an Anglican church, uh-huh. so you get just hymns, you know. Um, 
then you get oh you got nursery rhymes haven't you Humpty Dumpty it's mm. kind of a jig mm-hmm. Polly put the kettle on I don't know Humpty Dumpty yeah they're sort of so I think there's some seepage yeah. sort of through those funny little childhood things but everybody has those and what what did your what did your father and mother do what uh, Dad worked for a bank, mm-hmm. National Bank, National Australia Bank, as it is now. Uh, Mum had been a mothercraft nurse. Um, yeah, it's in Melbourne. They are very much Melbourneites, so they're all born in Melbourne, and their their parents, uh, Mum's parents, born in Melbourne. Dad's born in Tasmania, Northern Tasmania. Mm-hmm. They are the English and English side game. That's the game side. They emigrated from the farm workers from Southern England. Uh, no, classical music only there. And a bit of popular music. I've got some of their music, actually. But, um, and sometimes there are collections of Irish tunes in those musics. But um, it w- I couldn't say it was part of the fabric of the house. Mm-hmm. But the, the folk revival was sort of rumbling. Um, I mean, I'm a product of the 60s, a bit late 60s. Elvis Presley, Wooden Heart, Kingston Trio. I and mean, these are weird things that seep into the, yeah. into the music. The Beatles, of course, which, you know, I had a Beatles wig, for God's sake. Um, I think the actual strongest um, concentrated traditional influence, this is very funny, but I think I've talked to others, it's the Beverly Hillbillies. <clears throat> Five-string banjo, mm. it just burst through. Yeah. It was the only access to, to straight, you know... And it's, a, it's brilliant music. And that's, that's, that's Earl Scruggs. Is that, Scrubs, Creek? is that the tune at the start of that? Uh, the Ballad of Jed Clampett, I think oh, that's it's what called. It is, it is too, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, that's something. So that that had sparked an interest in bluegrass. And I think, wasn't it the, um, like the, the, the bush dance scene was Well, the bush dance, I, the, the thing is, I didn't really hear bush music at that time. I only actually heard bush music after I'd probably heard Irish music. The bush right. whackers were around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're they're very they're simplified tunes and polkas usually, never really heard it like a straight reel or um, so they were sort of in the mix but not really as an influence like a parallel right. activity mm-hmm. I'd say in my case. And was there was there just <clears throat> yourself in the family or do you have brothers or sisters? I'm the oldest of five. The oldest of five, right? So um, and, and did anybody else play then? Were well, they? my brother did play the fiddle for a bit too. We all got into it about the same time. He lives up in the Blue Mountains. He doesn't really play much now, but occasionally we'll knock mm-hmm. out a tune. Um, sisters had some, a bit of classical music and one of them went on and did a lot of jazz. Um, uh, yeah, she's a very accomplished jazz player, my sister Jenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lives in Melbourne, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, but no, really, myself and my brother, probably the only ones that picked up Irish. And none of my kids have. They did Irish <laughs> yeah. dancing. Uh-huh. And still, that's three out, of, three out of five picked up, picking up music to, yeah. and, and yeah. picking it up to the point yeah. where actually playing it to yeah. a, a professional yeah. standard. That's and my cousin had got into it through, cla- he learnt flute classical and then he picked up Irish flute, he got a wooden flute and then he picked up the accordion. And I stayed with, I'm fast forwarding a bit on family no, history, that's a good but one. we, um, it, Phil actually, Phil Butters, and he's, people still know of him, but he, um, he actually got the first, um, or the inaugural scholarship from uh, the Irish government, the Bicentennial Scholarship. Uh, which was a gift from the Irish government to Australia in uh, 1988. So that's 200 years, Australia. And uh, he was a year in Dublin uh, doing a um, master's in the Irish influence on Australian ballads. Yeah. So he was set up in Dublin 
um, near Croke Park. And I had a wonderful month. It was also the, the thousand years of Dublin. Right. And there was music everywhere, just tons of music. Um, and I, just in sessions, I, you know, I was just, I'd never played a note in it. I mean, in public, my God, not in 88. And, um, but I remember there was Sharon Shannon in sessions, and Frankie Gavin standing in the corner looking at the music, and uh, Mairead Mooney and people. Did that have a big impact on what you came Well, yeah, because that's early. actually, that, that was my first trip to Ireland in 88. Yeah. And that's just, it, I mean, it, it blows you away, of course. And it's also, it also frees you up a little bit. And you suddenly realised, you realise there's a lot of different ways to, to try and skin this cat. Mm. I find that because we are so isolated here and then the community becomes so much smaller, yeah. you're then, your influence is... If you have an influencer who is strict on a certain yeah, style, well, you're, you're sort of stuck with that, and you presume that's <laughs> yeah, the, you the presume norm that's it until you, you kind of yeah. you go somewhere like Ireland. You go, hang on, yep. that's not. You'll have someone who says, "Well, the Boeing is this, and or the Boeing is that," and someone else says, "I never think about the Boeing." Mm. When you started to play the fiddle, what was your learning curve from there? So you had been playing the mandolin, mandolin right? for a few years in Sydney. When I got back to Canberra, with you know, then I'd got the fiddle from uh, John Cardi. Yeah, just kept playing. Um, I got together a couple of Irish guys actually in, in Canberra, Pat Downey and Jerry Gormley. They were both, uh, Jerry was from Derry, they're both from Derry. Um, Did you say this was in Canberra? It was in Canberra, yeah. yeah. Um, Pat still lives there, Jerry's returned to Ireland. Um, and that was a kind of fun, they were singers and they sang a lot of rebel songs and com- you know some funnier songs yeah. and things. So I played a bit of guitar with them and a few banjo tunes and things. It was a, you know, did a few sort of pubby kind of things and yeah, it was it was fun. And, and um, was there a time then when you you realised, oh, I can, I can probably pull this off? Okay, that is a really interesting question. I, I even asked myself that this weekend. You know, yeah. I don't think that ever. I, I I don't know if you ever feel like you get there. Maybe you'd, you'd get somewhere. It's a bit of a mirage that you never quite can reach. Um, it's it's interesting just hearing you play those tunes today because they they they're beautiful and it but it's 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 such an ephemeral <laughs> experience you know what I mean just that, I mean that's I guess that's part yes. of why it's why yes. it, it it's appeals to it. yes it it's is like and it takes you somewhere for that minute or something doesn't it when there's a bunch of people that you kind of interact with and you know it, it's it's really lovely just three or four people that, that sort of just know the music at the similar kind of sort of level and approach and. And, and the the uh, the togetherness of listening yeah. as you're playing yeah you know that yeah. uh, you've got half an ear on what someone else is doing and then and you think oh they're playing that bit that way that's oh, I like that oh next time round I'll try and you know play it that way or I, I will ornament there or I won't or mm. something <laughs> that's a really important part in the <laughs> learning process the fir- the first times you start <laughs> feeling confident enough to truly listen to what somebody else is yeah. doing and then to have the proficiency to be able to think oh, I'm going to work with what they're doing in the moment I think that's yeah. that's a that's a moment yeah because you were asking when did you think I might be able to do that that's th- those are the moments when you start feeling those it's within the tunes you kind of you probably don't think about it on the day today <laughs> on a Wednesday sitting on the bus you kind of it's it's in that yeah. moment and tuning, yeah. you know what it's a, it's a heightened experience it's yeah. a heightened moment one thing I should say is in, in Canberra, when I returned to Canberra, one of the motivators was that there was a big Irish music scene um, still around, although a lot of some people have moved, but people like Terry McGee, whose parents were Irish, and he makes flutes. He lives on the south coast now. 
uh, Mark Tandy, who also lives on New South Wales' south coast, Sue Hobson and Pete, they live on the south coast now, but they were all in Canberra when I was mm-hmm. in the 80s. Uh, Richard Comrick, who's just passed away recently, and his wife Libby. So they were all playing music, and they, they had their own story in Canberra. I'd meanwhile left Canberra while they were... But the, what happened, there's a good story there, because uh, a chap called uh, Jack Canny uh, was walking through the middle of Canberra and heard these people playing Irish music, and he went up to them and said, look, this is Irish music, I haven't really heard much here. I, I used to play that stuff. And he would have been in his late 60s, 70s even then, you know. And his brother, of course, is Paddy Candy, who was, a, and, and uh, he played with PJ Hayes, Martin Hayes' father. So that record from the 50s actually circulated in Canberra in the 70s. Now that yeah. record, there would only been about two copies in the whole country, mm. I would say then. Mm-hmm. One of them was sitting in Canberra. So we had a tape of that, which was amazing. There's still tunes we play off that record. Um, and Jack was a wonderful kind of spiritual focus for the music. He, he, he took up the fiddle again, and he had a great swooping Clare style. He was from near Tub, near Fecal he was from. Um, and he had a, a, a great... He never set himself up as a maestro or anything, but he would play along, he'd play with anything. We still call a jig Jack's Clare jig. Because he loved it, you know. Yeah. We, we, we still call it Jack's Clare jig, you know. Um, so he was a, a wonderful kind of, you know, because you're all Aussies and you, you've got to have an Irish guy in there somewhere. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? so he was there, uh, which was great. And so uh, then you're probably describing his here. daughter played a bit too, Mary. Yeah, right. Played whistle. Yeah. I, I was wondering if you're probably describing the beginnings, <laughs> or not the beginnings, but like this, this um, scene that Ido Barker came into. Well, well? he's Ido the next. Something. That's right. Next. Now Ado and Ben mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Kate Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, they all, I mean, they kind of exploded onto the scene, really. They, they, they seemed to emerge fully formed. <laughs> That's the way I would put it. We, we met them, probably they were in their mid-teens, probably. Mm-hmm. And we're in this sort of slow learning group, you know. They had a lot of, uh, they all went to school together, I think, or at least two of them. So uh, I, should, I should say for, for people listening who yeah. don't know who we're talking about, we're yeah. talking about fiddle player Edel Barker and, yeah. uh, ben, and ben, ben Stevens Stevenson. on the flute and Kate guitar and, and fiddle as well and, and lovely singer. Um, so they, they um, look, they used to come to some of our sessions but they, they, I think they kind of just zoomed off, you know, and then eventually left, left Canberra fairly soon. Yeah. I don't think any of them went to uni or anything in Canberra. They kind of left school and and just, um, you know, got established in Sydney and Melbourne and things, and got the, that great band going that's had many records of CDs. Um, so they, but we, we you know, they, we, we, we knew them all, and I think, you know, they kind of clocked into what, to what we were doing for, up to a point and yeah. then just kind of took off. And, uh, but, you know, we, we all get on well. And, you so know. where's Canberra at, at the minute? Canberra? Uh, yeah. There, there isn't. There's a, a weekly Irish session at the Irish Club, actually. Now, actually, you mentioned you met Mary Collier, I, I think, did. didn't you? Yeah. And we met her the, the other day. She came into the session and was talking about establishing cultus and things. Um, so the club's been very supportive, just in a very practical way. Look, use the boardroom to have a session. Yeah. Because Canberra being a bit like New South Wales, you've got poker machines all through the club and mm-hmm. not very conducive to music. So we use the boardroom, which is a bit formal and a bit stiff, but it actually is a good space. Yeah. Uh, so there's probably some new energy going in at the club level, yep. but this is people who 
that we people that we've known, you know, since the eighties and things, yeah. you know, playing music and some new new players. Um, uh, there's um, there's a woman, a flute player in Yass called Bridget Breen, and uh, we actually played with her last weekend. And uh, another mandolin player, Mary Marshall, who's from uh, Edgeworth Town in, in Ireland, she's playing at the session. She learned as a teenager and has uh, got back into it. And uh, I should mention my wife too, because we, we play together. <laughs> my wife, Jenny Gall, who came into the music independently through university in Armadale. Right. Uh, university of New England up there. And um, so we had a band, she had a band. When I got married, I was invited into the band. Skedaddle, <laughs> which she had formed with with some others. We still um, we don't play now, but right. we did we did most we did a lot of bush music and songs. Did you record? Yeah, we did have a little little CD called "Take Me Down the Harbour." Yeah, right. Is that still available? <laughs> Very hard to the, get. <laughs> but we've got one under the bed. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. A couple under the bed. Yeah. yeah. If you need one. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, no, that's been important because we've. You know, we have music in the house. You know, we're playing and yeah. argue over tunes and how you play them. And do, you have, do, you have, do you have children? Yeah, I've got four kids. And what about them? Do they play? Well, the oldest William, he plays plays a bit of guitar and sings, um, but not not Irish music. Um, next door to Claire, look, I this is a family joke, bordering on a dad joke, I suppose. But what I said to them is, if you've learned ten Irish tunes, you get a trip to Ireland. Oh, okay. That sounds pretty now, good. What do you reckon? Yeah. Didn't work. You're Didn't kidding. Work. No. And I said it expires when you turn 30. Uh, first, 30. Of all, it was, first of all, it was 20. Yeah. And then I'm desperate. Uh, no, you, now they know they've got... They, they, they still they not. know you're weak. Now, what I want to know, is that transferable? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that off the record. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, they couldn't be um, cajoled, bludgeoned, or in, in any way... Uh, Encouraged to take up. Yeah. To be it's honest, I think one of them can play the butterfly on the fiddle. That is, that is an interesting, <laughs> an interesting point, though. That that uh, like even for me, growing up, like um, it wasn't when I was growing up, Irish music wasn't fashionable the way it is now. It, it just wasn't. There wasn't um, for whatever reasons where I was. There was a. It might co- just depend where a, you are, the specific locality. Oh, so of course, and yeah. I, I was in yeah. a wee town in the north of Ireland, so yeah. that's obviously a very particular. Yeah situation as well but it, yeah. but it but it wasn't it certainly wasn't it wasn't considered cool i mean it was fun yeah. for us like yeah. but it wasn't yeah. considered cool but yeah, you take so. like you mentioned um tg car that you even have an, a station that is pretty much dedicated to our it's irish culture irish music the amount of documentaries yeah. but it's not just documentaries because a lot of them will be dry but you've got youth programs you, like you take the flat and flat tv and the way that's presented with the likes of hector and it's it's fun. It's relevant. It's not. Yeah. It's not your mum and dad's music anymore. It's no. our music. Yeah. Mm. That's the kind of vibe I've got. And yeah. I know I was only there for the flash where everyone's into the music, but it felt like it wasn't a us and them. And I think things like the uh, Milltown Malbay with those classes. I mean, I've been to those classes myself. I mean, they're fantastic in the school where you know mm-hmm. you've, you've got hundreds of people, all fiddles, flutes, banjos, you know, going to classes with great teachers. You know, fantastic. And kids. I've sat in class with. 13-year-olds who are all island champions just yeah. sort of playing like demons. You know? I thought it was really interesting watching the kids with their... Um, yeah. They've all got the polos. They've got their their class polos. So the yeah. school that they go to and they wear that 
with, like you would your meat jersey or your leg jersey it's just with pride it's yeah you're representing your footy jersey yeah isn't that interesting i actually yeah. thought there were footy yeah. jerseys but they're yeah they're the club jerseys for the music and yet there were a lot of players from the north i mean sean mcguire of course on the fiddle but but he's such he's perhaps an exception but you know no and, and, and frankie and, kennedy on the flute you know. i'm absolutely i'm yeah. sure there was a, 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 a vibrant know, music mm. scene in the north it was yeah. and dermot who i mentioned wasn't where i was yeah it's interesting yeah i mentioned just with the um with those polo tops and, and track seats that are for the, the um, for the what would you call them the classes of the school that these kids come from, I think that's pretty much the only angle that I've had my kids interested mm. in music is when they saw a competitive nature that they could have a jersey and yeah. a bit actually, of merchandise. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so that's what they well, brought some stuff home from the flat and I've shown the photographs and they're like, oh, so it is a competition. Yeah. Oh, they're in, man. They're in. They're like, <laughs> Give me a fiddle. Yeah, they're not like yeah. their dad. Yeah. I think that's actually a really big... I think the competitions... I mean, people... There are some people that don't like... I've never been in a competition, but... I mean, I think it is great for the music to hear, you know, top playing. It's it's amazing. So so before we have a last tune, yeah. right? So I wanted to ask you... Well, two, two things. Is there anything that I have that we haven't asked you oh. that you want us to ask you? That you wanted to Well, talk I took about? copious pages of notes, but I can't remember anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing was like... Um, Somebody asked me, you know, why am I kind of into music and into Irish music, and and what does it give me? What what has Irish music given you and playing given you? Yeah, I mean it's multifaceted, really. Um, I mean, there's there's something very personal about sort of making it a, a discovery, you know. So there's this kind of challenge and this discovery of something, embracing something that you you're passionate about. So there's that kind of there's a solitary element to it, definitely, because you, you spend so much time actually on your own trying yeah. to do something. So there is that obsessive kind of personal collector almost. You know, someone else could have it with stamps or coins. Mm. You know, there's that side of it. But, of course, the, the social dimension can't be separated from it because you, you want to break out of your cell Mm-hmm. and uh, play it with other people and meet other people. You're sort of desperate to be able to do it with someone else. So you're beavering away on your own, but actually you want to get out there and be part of something bigger. Um, so that's the appeal. And of course, it's a, it is a language. I mean, you can go to Ireland and, or probably go to America, and if there's a bunch of people playing some tunes and you kind of just sit quietly and, and sort of get the feel of what's happening, you can probably play in there, if not the first night, maybe later on. And, mm. It's a wonderful little passport, I think. Um, certainly within the country here where you get to know people around the place. It's, yeah. uh, I love that expression, it's a, yeah. a passport. Yeah. It's, I wish I had known that at a much younger age. It's, it's negotiable, isn't it? It's, yeah. 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 Well, I, I said this to my friend Brian before this podcast was happening. He was always into Gaelic football. And I said to him, because I've, I've felt very detached from anything to do with being Irish or my heritage or whatever you want to sum it up. And I said to him, do, do you find some solace in being able to at least turn around and be interested in football, like, be, like in the guy? And he's like, yeah, I kind of, every now and again I do. And what it, on top of that, it always plugged him into a community. So no, one, yeah. no matter where he went, he knew, right, if he find out where the local GAA was, he started meeting people there. And then he was, it was like a, as you said, it was a passport direct in, like he was plugged in straight away. And music is the, it's the same, same it's deal. Think, one, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shall we have a, one last tune? Want one more? Okay, okay please. please. So, um, what, so what, you, what would you like to, to I'll, play? I'll try. Um, now, this tune's called Malangar Races. Another, it's a well-known tune. Mm-hmm. 
David Ginn from Canberra. Not a banjo in the entire interview. No, and a but banjo jamboree. <laughs> so um, so I, I was really lucky actually uh, on the Friday of the jamboree. Uh, I was just wandering around. For, I went for a thirty-five second stroll through town <laughs> and back. And uh, on you the, went twice on the, on the porch. On the porch uh, of the general store, there were uh, people people playing Irish tunes and David was one of them so it was great to have, have a chance to sit down and have a chat with him uh, we also met Lisa Dillard and uh, thanks to Lisa for helping us to just um, navigate our way through who was who there and also Sean Keenan a, a great early supporter of the podcast and uh, we'll be talking to him in a future episode so also just want to say directly to David I had I did look for you and I do want to have a old time jam with you one day down the road I was raging not left and without having to sit down and play so thank you so much for taking the time with us um, I think we're done and that's it thanks again to the general store in Guildford and to David Game. Hi my name is Pietro please become a good subscriber to the podcast Thank you.